chapter 13 on Father's Day, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Today on Father's Day, we are reminded of the hard work of our fathers. We are reminded of the love of our Heavenly Father. But we're also reminded of the serious need for leadership. The serious need for leadership. You see, men, fathers, I want to speak to you right now when I tell you this. Leadership is your responsibility. And our first concern as fathers, as leaders, as homes, should not be the Y house, but it should be your house. That should be your first concern. You see, as we are fathers, as we are parents, as we are leaders, all of us here at some capacity... You are in a relay race as you're raising your children. Notice that. And in the relay race, this spiritual race that we're in, the passing of the baton is extremely important. I don't know if you've ever seen a relay race, but when they practice this relay race or this event, they don't only practice the coming out of the blocks or the running, but they practice how to pass the baton and how to hold on to the baton and how to run without dropping the baton. And for all the leaders and fathers out there today, I, I pray that you would be so careful that you do not drop the baton of leadership when it comes to your children because it will cost them their entire spiritual race. It will cost them their entire spiritual race. You see, this idea of father and of spiritual father or of a spiritual leader is so important. And we're going to see those dynamics in chapter 13 as we close out this letter of 2 Corinthians. I want you to know for the fathers, for the men, for the leaders, for the women and all of us that are here, that God has called you to more than being a financial provider of your home. A lot of the times we pride ourselves, well, I'm the provider of my home. I'm the head of household. It's because I work here and I'm the, now my word is the one that stands here. Number one, God is the provider. He so chooses to use you. <laughs> but when he said it and he called you to be a provider, he called you to provide also an example. He called you to provide leadership. He called you to provide your spiritual faith. He called you to provide godly character. He called you to provide godly values so that you teach your children. Who are they in the Lord? You teach them how to choose their friends. I like what Tony Evans said in his book, Raising Kingdom Kids. He said, teach your children to pick their friends based off of character and not culture, based off of ethics and not ethnicity. Are you teaching your children? And then it was once said before, the most important thing that a father can do. And I tell you, this is so important. I pray that you get this. You write this down, the most important thing that a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Is to love their mother. Regardless of that, of where you've come from or what you believe, today you must make a choice about how you lead your family and your home. Whether or not you're a father. You have to make a choice of how you will lead your life. I like how Joshua says in Joshua 24 verse 15, he says, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, you choose, you choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the, the gods your fathers serve on the other side of the Jordan or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can someone say amen to that? Amen. 
But as for me and my house, you have to make a decision about how you will lead your family. Will you rise to the occasion today? As a young man or a young lady, as a woman that is leading her children, as a father that is there to lead the home, will you make a decision about how you will lead your home? Because if you do not lead your family, the world will lead your family. If you do not lead your family, somebody else will. If you don't love your children, somebody else will love them. If you do not love your wife, somebody else will love your wife. This is why this idea of a spiritual leader and why it is so important, it's amazing that we get to go to 2 Corinthians 13 and see now on Father's Day, the need for spiritual leadership. Would you title that as today's message? The need for spiritual leadership. Everybody needs a spiritual leader in their life. I don't care where you come from. What you've heard, how much you think you know, whether you were raised in the church or you weren't, you need a spiritual leader. You need a leader that is grounded in the Word of God. You need to be growing in the Word of God. Because just like today, Paul was a spiritual leader to the church of Corinth. They were called, the church of Corinth was called the Vanity Fair of the Roman Empire. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like the church of today? The Vanity Fair of the Roman Empire because this church was dominated and surrounded by a culture that was all about priding themselves in the world's wisdom, the world's wealth, and the world's culture. It was all about the world's standards. And the majority already from the Corinth now had repented with the first letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. They had repented from their selfishness from their greed, from living in their sins, from their flesh, from sexual sin, they had repented, the majority. But the minority of them were still living in their sins. And now he's ready to visit them a third time now, but he's afraid. <laughs> and he's closing this letter, he said, I'm afraid of one thing, that as I come to see you this third time, there's not going to be any real repentance in some of you. I'm going to come this third time. We're going to meet again. And I'm afraid I'm going to find the minority living in sin still. That the fruits of the flesh are still evident in your life. It's not the fruit of the Spirit, but it's the fruit of the flesh that's evident in your life. And he told them already, in the, as we ended 2 Corinthians chapter 12 last week, that repentance is necessary for transformation. You want your life to be transformed today? Do you know that you need a spiritual transformation more than behavior modification? The world is looking for a behavior modification that is so outwardly but never goes into the soul where we talk about soul transformation and that only happens with repentance. You see how he's asking for repentance here and he's coming with authority to correct those that are still living in sin and he knows when I come to Corinth, I'm going to face three different types of people. I'm going to raise three different types of children. <laughs> the disobedient, number one. The disqualified, number two, which are the backslidden ones. And number three, the devoted. And here he's raising these spiritual children, Paul, with strong spiritual leadership, with a strong caliber when it came to now being a leader of God's word. He says, I know that I'm going to face some that are going to be disobedient, some that are disqualified because they are so backslidden in the world. And also I will meet some that are devoted. But why don't we go to the text today in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 1 and read how Paul closes this letter. He said, this will be the third time I'm coming to you. 
by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for discipline because discipline is a sign of leadership but discipline is also a sign of love. It reminds us that we are your children. And we ask, Lord, that you would apply discipline, your discipline in our lives, in the areas that require discipline, in the areas that require repentance, in the areas that require an awakening. I pray that we would not leave the same this morning, that those of us that need to step it up, that we would step it up. That those of us that need to lead our families your way, that we would do it. That the men that have been sitting down would rise up. That the ladies would raise up the arms of those men around them to be the fathers that you have called them to be. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. And together we said. Amen. He says this in verse 1. This will be the third time I'm coming. And I'm coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses, which is already established every word. And he's saying, you know what? I'm coming to you and I'm not coming to investigate. I already have two or th three trips behind me. I already have two or three co-labors that are witnesses now. I have now gathered the facts. I've established the evidence. I've tested now why I'm coming. I'm going to confront now because I'm coming not as an investigator, but I have enough evidence to be able to gather and deduce now that you are living a life of disobedience. I'm coming now with the evidence. And he's saying in verse 2, he says, I have told you before and foretell you that if I were present a second time, just like I told you when I was there present a second time, I told you that I was going to come with discipline. I told you to repent from those sins. I told you to turn to God. Verse 2, he's saying, And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned. And I'm writing to those who have sinned. And I'm writing to all else before and to the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. See, what is he doing here? What is verse 1 and 2 tell us? This is a warning. How many of you guys appreciate warnings? <laughs> Right? Whenever we were going to get in trouble, maybe growing up, or even you get pulled over by a police officer, is this my warning? <laughs> you might ask yourself. Everybody wants a warning. Well, here Paul is giving them a warning. But he's saying, I've already warned you, and I'm warning you again about those that are living in sin. I'm going to visit you, and this particular visit, it's going to be one with authority. You have to appreciate authority because authority establishes order. When we refuse authority, we're refusing order. And he's saying, I'm going to come and bring order into the church as I come with the authority. And I'm warning those that have sinned, as I've warned them before, I'm warning you again now, I will not spare. Notice that, I will not spare. Spare, what is he talking about? I'm not going to spare the discipline that is needed. I will apply discipline in your life, if need be. Now this is important here because this is strong leadership which was needed. Paul was not a weak leader. And neither in our time can we afford to have weak leadership. As fathers, as mothers, as those that are going into a workplace where there are people that need Jesus, we cannot afford to be weak leaders. In fact, we need to be leaders that are bold. 
And here what Paul is doing, he says, you know what, I'm going to come and I will not hold back when it comes to applying discipline. Because this is exactly what is not only healthy for the church, this is what is necessary for the church as they realize now that they're living in sin and they ought to repent. Verse 3, he goes on, Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. Now you think that I am not speaking on behalf of Christ because I come in gentleness. Because I don't look like the other apostles. Because maybe I don't sound like them with the eloquence or with the speech just like them. You seek now a strong authoritarian leader that's coming on my behalf. I'll tell you what. I'm going to speak with authority. If you want proof, you're going to get the proof. God is not weak when He deals with you. God is powerful when He deals with us. And in verse 4, he goes this, For though he has crucified in weakness, although Christ was crucified in weakness. What does this mean? Although Christ was crucified in humility, although Christ was crucified in meekness, although Christ was crucified in submission, in obedience now, yet he lives by the power of God. Now you're looking for the authority of God and you want to see the authority of God? Well, you will see the authority of God in the way that I correct, in the way that I rebuke the church, in the way that I clean up the house. So you better clean up the house before I come up and I clean it with the power and the authority and the proof of Christ. Now this is the same proof that you saw in Jesus. Although He was weak, although He was submitted at the cross, although He became vulnerable at the cross, he lives by the power of God. He, is, he has the authority. He has all the strength now. Although you saw Him be submitted at the cross, He comes also with authority. Now this is the same authority that Paul is going to use. And he says this in verse 4. For we also are weak in Him. We also can be gentle. We also can be humble. I, Paul, also can be submissive. I can be patient like the Lord at the cross. But also I can come with the authority that is needed for repentance at the cross. Do you see how it's needed here? You see why it's important here for, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. With the power of God towards you, we're going to come and we're going to possess that same power. We're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit and it's going to be manifested, the power of God. A lot of times we say, well, I want to see the power of God at church. You know what the power of God at church? The power of God at church is the Word of God. It's the power of God to speak into your heart and to speak into your mind and to correct us of our sin. That is the power of God. The power of God is expressed in the Word of God. There are many times we think the power of God is expressed in emotion. The power of God is expressed in the Word of God. The Lord says that He holds His Word above His own name. It is the authority. It is the power. Do you see how this is so important? I'm going to come with the authority, with the power. Now I can be gentle. I can be weak. In your eyes, that is weak. I can be gentle. I can be submissive now. But I also can come with the authority and the correction to those that are still living in disobedience. Notice, that is the warning to those that are still disobedient. But now he's going to move on from verses 5 to 10 to those that are disqualified. Now write that down in your Bible. Disqualified, he uses that word. It's called the word that those are that are backslidden. Those that have failed the test. Have failed the test. And he tells them here in verse 5, examine yourself. Underline that in your Bible. Examine yourself. And I pray that this goes beyond you marking your Bible. I pray that it marks your heart. Examine yourself. 
that this Father's Day would be a day of examination. It's an invitation to examination from wherever you are in your life. Examine yourself. We like to examine other people, right? We like to be critics of other people. We like to see what's wrong and right in their lives. But when was the last time that you, in the presence of God, examined yourself? That you stood before the presence of God and said, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to examine me by the Word of God and tell me now, Lord, what is it that I need to change? Examine yourself. It's an invitation to examination. And look what it says. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. In fact, if you're going to continue living this way, make a decision whether or not you are actually in the faith. If you're going to continue living this way, make a decision as to whether or not you are a Christian. You see, everyone who wants to call themselves a follower of Christ or a Christian, I want to call myself that. It sounds so relevant. It sounds like something that is this maybe honorable, but, but examine yourself lest you become disqualified. Now notice how he says this in verse 5. It says, examine yourself as whether or not you are in the faith. And then he uses another word, test yourself. Examine yourself and then test yourself. The word examine means to distinguish. In fact, an examination was a legal term among the Greeks. And really what it meant, it was a preliminary investigation of gathering these facts and the evidences now for the information of the judges. Let's make an examination, let's gather some evidence, and let's bring that evidence to the judges now so that they can make a decision. When he says examine yourself, he says, I want you to gather evidence in your life to whether or not you are in the faith. What kind of evidence do we have in our lives to be able to show that we're in Jesus? Is there any evidence, hard facts, evidence that you can bring to the table so that you can show, hey, I am in the faith. Not only that, but I can test myself. Examine and test. The word test means prove authenticity. I know nobody here likes to receive a gift and the gift is fake. I know nobody ever prouds himself in, in being something that they're really not. Here he's saying, I want you to gather evidence and I want you to prove authenticity. Can we do that today, this Sunday morning? Can we gather evidence and can we prove authenticity to see whether you are in the faith? Test yourself. Now he asked them a question. Do you not know that you yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Did you forget that he's in you? Why are you living this way? You see, it's not okay to say that you're a believer and forget that Christ lives in you. It's not okay to say you are a Christian here, he's saying, as he's coming with his exhortation now, and you're living the life of disobedience, you're living the life that you are backslidden in the faith, and forget that Christ is in you now. But he says, don't you remember that Christ is in you? Don't you know that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? And he, and he goes on in verse 5, and he says here, unless indeed you are disqualified. This is when the Lord doesn't live in you. Unless you're disqualified. Disqualification. You see, when you're in a race and you break the rules, or you're in a race and you come out of the blocks before the official fired off his arm, what happens? You become disqualified. <laughs> you're out of the race. You haven't competed. You cannot compete any longer. Why? Because you broke the rules. And you're choosing to continuously to break the rules. Now he says, you, don't you know that Christ is in you unless you are disqualified? And the word disqualified means the word reprobate. 
Unless you are lost, then he's not in you anymore. Examine yourself, gather evidence, prove authenticity, realize Christ is in you, unless you have a reprobate mind and unless you're lost. You see, a disqualification speaks of the absence of genuine faith. That's what makes you disqualified. An absence of genuine saving faith. It also speaks about sin. <laughs> what disqualifies me before the Lord? Sin. Sin disqualifies us. And you think about the errors in our lives that maybe we have to make right with God because He's saying, don't you remember that Christ lives in you and that you are in Christ and that only is possible unless you're disqualified. Are you disqualified today? Or are you in Christ? Because you are either in Christ or you're disqualified. You are either in Christ or you're backslidden. And this is exactly what he wants to tell him. Test yourself. Are you really a follower of Christ? If you're going to continue living like this, Corinth, I'm going to tell you before I come this third time, before I find you, that you would ask yourself the question, am I really living now a life of Jesus? It is time for you to examine yourself. Because self-examination does this, it humbles you. It humbles you and you realize now that you need to remove the hardness of your heart today. That you need to humble yourself from the hardness of your heart and you have to keep your heart tender now. Because a tender heart keeps the mind now open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you cannot have a mind that is open to the leading of the Holy Spirit if you do not have a tender heart. Therefore, he tells them, examine yourself. Examine to see if there is any evidence of Jesus in you. Examine yourself to see if you're really carrying the cross. Examine yourself. Prove, are you walking with Christ? Are you living a life that where you're dying to self to live for Jesus? Or does your life revolve around you? You see, that's a good, important question to ask yourself today. When I examine myself, does my life revolve around me? Or does my life revolve around Christ? What does your life revolve around? Does it revolve around you or does it revolve around Christ? What do the psalmist say? Psalms 139 verse 24. He says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart, O Lord. Examine me, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Do you see why spending time with the Lord in His presence for examination is so important? Lord, search my heart and see if there's anything that doesn't please you, God, so that therefore you can lead me into the way of everlasting. I love that what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. It tells us this, this is the message which you have heard from him and I declare to you that God is light notice this and in him there is no darkness if we say we have fellowship with him but if we walk but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin saying if you say that you have fellowship with God who has, there is no darkness at all and you're walking in sin you're lying but if you're walking in the light as He is in the light, you have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You see, we can't say that we're walking with the Lord, but also living in darkness. That doesn't make sense. And here the mark of the, the Christian is that we would walk in the light and that we ask ourselves the question, am I in the faith? This is what He's telling them. Am I submitted to the Lord? 
Am I submitted to His presence for self-examination? Do I know that that's the only way the revival happens in the church when I go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to examine me. I want you to test me. I want you to prove to Lord to me signs and evidences of authenticity. You see, there are often times we, ask, we have to ask ourselves the question, can I be trusted in the Lord? Or am I consciously or maybe even unconsciously creating an impression in my mind that I'm better spiritually than what I really am? Is Christ real to me? Is His Word real to me? Am I enjoying now my prayer life? Am I taking the time for His Word to speak to me? Therefore, I know that I really am walking with Christ. A lot of times we say, well, I'm walking with Christ, but I don't spend time with His Word. You, you cannot say that. Alan Redpath said this, an unholy life is merely the evidence of an unchanged heart. And an unchanged heart is the evidence of an unsaved soul. I'm going to read it to you again. It says, an unholy life is merely the evidence of an unchanged heart. And an unchanged heart is the evidence of an unsaved soul. Why is this important? Because knowing God is not the same as knowing about God. And today a lot of us know about Him, but do you know Him? Do you spend time with Him? Do you fellowship with Him? Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Test, prove, signs of authenticity. Verse 6, But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. See, what I love about Paul is that he doesn't ask them to do something that he's not willing to do himself. And he tells them, I want you to now trust. I want you to know that we ourselves are not disqualified, but we're abiding in the Lord. There is truth in us. He's saying we're not disqualified. You, you might think that we seem disqualified because of our humility and our meekness now and our submission to the Lord. But we're not disqualified. We're connected with the Lord. You know one of the things that the enemy wants to seek for, to do in your life? He wants to disqualify you, number one. He wants to disqualify you. We know the enemy also wants to discourage you. The enemy wants to disqualify you. If he can't disqualify you, he'll want to discourage you so you don't fellowship with the Lord. And then finally, if he can't disqualify you or discourage you, he's going to want to distract you from fellowship with God. There are times in our walk with the Lord where we either are disqualified, we're backslidden, we are discouraged that we don't spend time with the Lord, or we are too distracted that we don't spend time in the Word. And then too many times we go to church on Sunday, but live by the world standards from Monday through Saturday. Because we're not spending time with the Lord. Whose standards are you living by today? Whose moral, godly, character values are you standing by? Are you living by today? In fact, in verse 7 it says, Now I pray. Notice now what Paul does. Although they are disobedient, although they're backslidden, what does he do? He keeps praying for them. This is what a spiritual leader does. Maybe there are people that you're praying for to come back to the Lord, to be saved. To receive the Lord as their Savior. Never stop praying for them because He knows here. He says, I prefer to continue to pray for you. And this is exactly what He's going to do. And I pray that you don't refuse this correction. I pray that none of us here refuse the message that we're receiving today. It says this, Now I pray to God that you do no evil, that you submit to this teaching that I'm giving you, that you now obey. Now He's praying for their obedience. Now that you do no evil, 
Not so that we seem right, but for your own spiritual benefit, that you do what is honorable. And it says this, not that we should appear approved, not for our approval, not for our validation, now he says, but that you should do what is honorable, that we may seem disqualified. I want you to do it because it's an honorable, it's the right thing to do, it is holy. You know what? God wants you to live your life in honor and in humility. In honor and in humility. And he's saying, I pray that you do not refuse this. I pray that you don't do evil. I pray that you, could, you obey the Lord. And not so that I can seem validated in front of everyone else as a true apostle. But for your own spiritual benefit. Even though we seem weak to you. And notice he goes on in verse 8. He says, for we can do nothing against the truth. But for the truth. Now this is important. Because truth is not subjective. Truth doesn't change because of your feelings. <laughs> Truth doesn't respect your emotions. Facts don't care about your feelings, has been said before. Somebody asked me recently, well, what is love? If we are supposed to show everyone love during these times, during times of unrest, during times of chaos, if, how is it that we're supposed to show people? What is love then? What is love? Love is truth. <laughs> and truth is Jesus. He says, we can stand and do nothing against the truth. We can do nothing and we can send nothing against Christ. In fact, what we do and everything we do, we do it for the truth. Now what is it that you do while you do? What is the reason as to why you stand for the things that you stand for? Because he's saying here, I don't, we don't oppose the truth. In fact, we stand by it. And it's the truth of the Word of God. He goes here in verse 9, For we are glad. Look at his attitude. We are glad. When we are weak, if we seem weak, we are glad. If we seem now humble before you, we are, we are glad now. If in your eyes we don't seem as one that is strong now in the world's wisdom or in the world's approval or in the world's success. There are many times that we want to obey the Lord, but we also want to be successful and approved in the eyes of people. And you can't be both. You're either going to be a people pleaser or you're going to be a God pleaser. And Paul made a decision as a spiritual leader. He said, I am going to serve the Lord regardless of how people see me or what they think about me. I really believe that the church would accomplish more for the kingdom of God if we stopped caring about what people thought about us. Oftentimes the reason why we don't give our lives completely to the Lord is because we're concerned about what people will say. <laughs> but when you say, Lord, I don't, I'm not concerned about what they will say. I'm more concerned about what you will say. Because on that day, when you meet the Lord face to face, it's not going to matter what people said about you. It's going to matter whether or not you obeyed the Lord. Period. You see why this is so important? Now he goes on in verse 9, For we are glad when we are weak to you, you are strong, that you are benefiting from this. We are glad that you are growing in this also we pray. Notice again, second prayer. The second reason for him to pray now. Circle the word pray. That you may, you may be made complete. What is he praying for? We're praying that you would fully grow mature. That we pray that you would grow out of immaturity into spiritual maturity. That you would be strong and fully restored. We need to be praying for the restoration of those that are backslidden. Those that are weak. 
That they would go beyond spiritual infancy. And there are some people that have been walking with the Lord 20 years, but just is that first year repeating it 19 times, and they never grew out of being a new believer. So they're still messing around with the things of the world. They're still dabbling with the things that are pulling them away, and there's no foundation of God's Word in their life. I'll tell you, if you have no foundation of God's Word in your life, you will never grow beyond a new believer. That's exactly why we need to, the foundation of God's Word. And he's saying here, he's saying, I pray that you may be made what? Complete. Complete speaks of, uh, about foundation in where you can build on. You can't just build on anything. You can't just lay something out and say, you know, I'm just going to start building however it stands. You need a strong foundation so that that foundation is strong enough for you to build on top of it. And he's saying, I'm never going to stop praying so that we can continue to build on this foundation. I pray that you may be made complete, mature. Verse 10, notice this. Therefore, I write these things. Notice 10. Verse 10. Being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness. I'm writing this while I'm absent through a letter. Therefore, when I come to you, I don't have to come with this same tone. <laughs> have you ever maybe received a, a text or an email or someone from somebody that seems they're pretty upset? And they're saying, you better fix this so that when we come, we don't have to have a tough conversation in person. <laughs> and this is exactly what he's saying in verse 10. He's saying, I, I'm, pray, uh, I'm writing this while I'm absent and I'm writing this to prepare you now. I'm writing this beforehand now. So that in person, I don't have to use this sharpness. Or in person, I don't have to use this type of authority or this type of discipline in person. I'd rather not use it in person. In person, I want a fellowship. I want to have joy. In person, I, I want to get to know one another. We want to rejoice. We want to pray. We want to praise the Lord together. In person, that's what we choose to do. Therefore, fix this act of yours. <laughs> and this is exactly what he's telling them. Now, notice what he's saying. Uh, the sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for what? What is the Lord giving them this authority for? For edification, not for destruction. I'd rather use this authority, this God-given authority. Notice this, men and women. Men on Father's Day, God has given you an authority. For the ladies, God's given you an authority as well. For all of us here, God has given you some type of influence wherever you go but what is this authority for this authority is for one thing for edification not for destruction and i am choosing now to tell you this so that when i come to you i don't have to speak in this tone i can use this position to build up and not to tear down now a lot of times we think well you know paul was just tearing them down he's all sharp he's he's very authoritarian he's he's coming with with hardness of discipline but notice this these are the traits these are the evidences of a leader that loves those that he leads. You see, a leader that, that never comes with an authority of discipline is one that never seeks the spiritual order in the lives of those he leads. Is there any spiritual order in your life right now? Or are things out of order? It's so easy for things to get out of order. You know why things get out of order sometimes? Because we refuse to submit to the authority. And the number one authority that we need to submit to is to the Lord. And then the authority that He has given you in your life. No questions. But Lord, I don't like. It doesn't matter what you like or not. You think the authority 
now changes because of what we like and we don't like? No, absolutely not. But he's saying here, the authority that I want to use and I want to apply is an authority to edify, not to tear down because I love you. And now he goes from verse 11 to verse 14. As he closes this, he's spoken about the disobedient. He's spoken about the disqualified. Let's talk about the devoted. (laughs) There's going to be a group that is devoted now. And when I meet this group, I'm excited because this is what's going to happen to this group. These are the devoted ones that will stay united. And he encourages the brethren. Now he says this, verse 11, finally brethren. As he's going to farewell now, he's going to close now this letter. And he tells them this, finally brethren, farewell or be joyful, become complete. Notice how he keeps saying complete, become mature, grow in maturity, continue to grow, become complete. What are you becoming today? Are you becoming something out of the fruits of the Spirit or are you becoming something out of the fruits of the flesh? This is so important that we realize. Because he's saying, I want you to become complete. I want you to grow in maturity. In fact, I want you to have a desire to become complete. A lot of times we're, we're so interested in what am I going to become next year? What am I going to become in these later years of my life? As I'm growing up, I just want to be this. Do you want to be mature in the Lord? Is that a desire? Is that something that you hunger in your heart to grow? A desire and a thirst for spiritual maturity in your life? Become complete. Lord, I just want to grow in you because my identity and the only value that really matters is what God you say about me, not the, what the world says about me. Grow spiritually. Know the Word of God. Grow in maturity. Know the authority of the Word of God in the Lord. Now notice what he says here. Become complete. Be of good comfort, he tells them. Number one, be of one mind. Number two, and live, live in peace. These are three exhortations for a church that is devoted. You want to be a church that is devoted? You want to be a Christian that is devoted? Then remember these three things. Because it has a lot to do with your fellowship. It's not about if you're fellowshipping, it's about how you're fellowshipping. Well, yes, I'm a believer, but I never go to church. That's not fellowship. (laughs) That's nothing to do with fellowship. Well, you know what? I love God, but I just don't love the body of Christ. You don't, that's impossible. (laughs) You don't love the Lord and say, "I, I don't love the body of Christ. Well, you know what? Nobody can relate to me. No one understands me. Of course, because everyone's a sinner as well. But listen to this. We are called to be united, not divided. We are called to stand with one another. We are called to lock shields now for godly character in this world. And he tells them three key characteristics that keep the church united, that you ought to seek, that you ought to pursue. This should be part of your agenda. This should be a part of your calendar. This should be a part of your planner now that guides you every time and, and des- makes you now desire to come to church. When's the night's coming around? This is what the Lord says. Friday night is coming around with the, with the women or with the youth or with whoever it would be. The men. Listen to what it says. Why are you to stay united? It says this. Now, be of good comfort. Number one, encourage one another. If you are devoted, if you want to be devoted, you ought to, number one, be joyful and encourage one another. When was the last time you encouraged someone? Encourage one another. Be of good comfort. Encourage one another. Deposit courage into their lives. Well, think about the things that other believers would do if you would just encourage them. I can remember a lot of times in my life where I was getting tired in the spiritual race of ministry. 
And somebody came along and said, you know what, I'm going to just encourage you. And they encouraged me. And I said, hey, I want to continue to serve the Lord because of fresh encouragement. Unity in the body of Christ exists only because of encouragement. You can't have unity without encouragement. Notice that. Because encouragement builds. Encouragement means I'm coming alongside of you. Be of good comfort means I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to come alongside of you. I'm going to walk this spiritual walk together, not alone. Be of good comfort. Listen to this, this next one. Be of one mind now. Live in harmony. One mind says have the same purpose. Be unified. Have the same mind. Don't say, you know what, I'm a believer, but I don't have the same mind as the believer. <laughs> no, when Jesus Christ calls you into His family, what does it say? That you, He renews your mind by the renewing of your mind. That's the first act of worship. That means that I am to have a mind that is united with the body of Christ. I'm to come alongside the body of Christ. I'm to have the same mind as the body of Christ. Be of one mind. Not different mind. Not different value. One mind. Same purpose. Same values. United. Number three. Live in peace. Notice it doesn't say live in division. Live in backbiting. Live in gossip. Live in peace. You see what the church in Corinth needed was God's grace not selfishness. It needed God's love, not anger. And it needed communion, not conflict. The reason why there's conflict is because there's an absence of communion with God and communion with the body of Christ. How is the communion today? This is a call right here for the devoted to cultivate one thing. Cultivate unity. Cultivate unity. What does Paul tell the church now of Rome in Romans 12, 18, he says this, If it is possible, as much as it depends on you. <laughs> a lot of times we think, well, you know what? I'm not in peace because of them. Or maybe because of resentment in my heart. Maybe because of unforgiveness. But Romans 12, 18, it says, If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As much as is in your power, you ought to live peaceably with all men. You ought to live with what? One com good comfort. One mind now and in peace. Let's read verse 11. It says in verse 11 and 12. It says, Then, and the God of peace or the God of love and peace will be with you. You see, when you do these three things, what happens now? The love and the peace of God will be present. His presence will be present. A lot of times we ask, Well, how come I can't feel the presence of God? But I never fellowship with other believers. <laughs> But I never have that mind with other believers. I'm never encouraging others. I'm never receiving the encouragement that somebody wants to give me. I'm never living in peace now. How do you expect to experience the love of God and the peace of God? It is impossible. Here he's saying, and the God of love and the peace will be with you. In fact, this is a promise now that you can experience the peace of God or the presence of God if you're living in division with your brothers. You can't experience the peace of God and you will never experience the presence of God if you're living in division. Because fellowship with God means fellowship with one another. Fellowship with God means fellowship with one another. And regardless of the cost, we ought to strive for unity because the reward is worth it. What is the reward? The presence of God. When you reject unity as a Christian, you are rejecting the presence of God. This is exactly what he's telling us in verse 11. When you reject unity, you are rejecting the presence of God. 
Now verse 12 and 14, as we end here, it says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now this is a cultural kiss, so don't get excited guys. You know? Greet one another with a holy kiss. What does a holy kiss mean? It's a pure kiss. It's a sign of purity. It's a sign of peace and a sign of love. Greet one another with peace and love. That's what he's saying. Today we demonstrate that with a hug, with a handshake, with a smile. Greet one another with peace and love. I heard someone say, you know what, man, I love going to church, but the, the, the worst time of church, that I, I just don't like this about church, is when they say, greet one another and say hi. Well, why wouldn't you like that? <laughs> you say hi to everybody else. You say hi to all your friends. You want to say hi to the body of Christ? We should go out of our way to greet one another with peace and with love. Because that's how we maintain encouragement. Because that's how we maintain one mind. Because that's why we live in peace when we greet one another. That's why the ministry of the greeters, I think it's one of the most important ministries of the church. The greeters. Because they're teaching us what it looks like, what it means to greet one another. In fact, I pray that you don't leave, that you are not one of those people. Man, as soon as that song, they're saying one last song, I'm out of here. You know, before that song ends. You stop. Don't run out. Greet someone with peace and with love because you are a part of the body of Christ and you matter to the body of Christ. Amen. Now notice here what he says in verse 13. All the saints greet you. Here where Paul is at, he's saying, you know what, all the saints, the church, and I, we also send our greetings to you. Verse 14 as we end. The grace of God the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is a Trinitarian blessing. Oh, what does that mean? <laughs> I love this. This is a blessing that includes the Trinity. Notice that. Did you guys catch that? Look at what it says here. The Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the Holy Spirit. Notice the Trinity is right there in one verse. He wanted them to be blessed with the entire completely blessed, with complete with everything that God is. God the Father, be blessed with God the Father. Be blessed with the Holy Spirit. Be blessed with Jesus the Son. Be blessed. Now he's now praying a blessing over them with everything, the entire essence of who God is. His entire being over their lives now. I want you to be completely blessed by everything God is. The grace of what? The grace of Jesus now. What is the grace of Jesus? The grace of Jesus is salvation. The grace of Jesus is forgiveness now. But then he goes on beyond that now, speaking about the, Father, the love of the Father and the love of God. Well, today on Father's Day, we are now appreciating and thanking God for His love that never fails. A love that doesn't run out. We thank Him for His Son Jesus and we thank Him for the love of God and the communion now, the fellowship we have in His presence. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What does he say together? We say this. Amen. Now let's try that again. Together. Amen. amen. Notice here that Jesus is mentioned before the Father. Jesus is mentioned before the Father. This is important for you to know before we close. Jesus is mentioned before the Father because it was his sacrificial death. It was Jesus at the cross. It was the grace of Jesus at the cross. That is the expression of the love of God. Jesus is the expression of the love of God. In fact, what he's saying here to us is that Jesus, notice this, for all the fathers, for all the ladies, Jesus is the legacy of the love of the Father. 
The Father expressed now His love. They would be eternally expressed to us through His Son Jesus Christ on the cross. Not only that, but because of the cross, we have fellowship in the presence of God. We can go into the presence of God. Can you believe that? That we can go into the presence, we can have communion with the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. And it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. The Bible says, do not forsake the patience of God. Don't, don't take it for granted. It's the goodness of God that now leads us to repentance. And because of the cross, we can go straight into the presence of God to say, Lord, I'm submitted to your presence. Examine me. We can go straight into his presence. And it's so important that today we examine ourselves in his presence and say, Lord, if there is anything, anything in my life that you do not like, you remove it. Because I want to be walking with you and I want to prove authenticity. I want to have evidence of a genuine faith. I want Christ to be in my life. And I want to fellowship in the communion of the Holy Spirit. To receive the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. You see, there was a story about a king who was in his throne room. And he was holding a very important meeting with his council of advisors and noblemen. His high ministers now of the state. And suddenly there was a big bang on the door. It's banging and banging and banging on the door. <laughs> And nobody wanted to open the door, but the banging kept going up, just up and up now in, in, in volume now of that throne room. Suddenly the door just flung right open and his four-year-old son ran now uh, towards his dad. And everyone's eyes just saw the interruption of the little boy that was running into the room. Now one of the king's royal guardsmen tried to stop the boy and said, Hold it there, young boy. And he shouted to him, Hey! Stop! Don't you know you're disturbing the counsel of the king? And the little boy said, he laughed. He said, to you, he's your king. But to me, he's my daddy. And he ran straight to the king's arms. And he sat in his lap and he gave him a hug. This is the same picture. This is the same position that we have with God. That we have access to that throne room, that we have access behind the scenes, that we have access into now His very presence, communion with the Holy Spirit. But that access is not possible. That access is not possible without us first going through the cross. You have to get through the cross to go into the presence. And at the cross, you go and say, Lord, examine me, forgive me, cover me with your blood. The Bible says that if you can't confess your sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. How many of you guys believe that today? Amen. 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 Can we praise God for that? Amen. Why don't you join me praying? Let's stand together on this Father's Day. Lord Heavenly Father, we pray right now, Jesus, that you would use us you would use us to be a people, Lord, that's running straight into your throne room. That nothing would hold us back, Lord. Religion tries to hold us back and say, you're interrupting the world, sin, culture. But we want to be about you, Lord. Rules, regulations stop us. Trying to be something we're not stop us from going in there. Legalism, distractions, stop us, Lord, 
But we know that we have communion within your presence because of your spirit. 